Welcome to another edition of Coping with COVID Lunch Hours. Founders out there, I'm so proud of you. It's hard enough building a startup, let alone doing it in the midst of a crisis. So proud of you that you're doing it. Hope that you are proud of yourselves. Hope you feel good about what you're doing every day, fighting the good fight. We want to do what we can to help you out. So at noon, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we bring you a startup expert like our special guest SC today to help you get your questions answered. I'm your host, David Smith. I'm an angel investor, former founder and CTO. And with me, my co-host, Amanda Lewin. She's a big startup advocate in Detroit, big builder of the ecosystem there. And Amanda's company is Bamboo Detroit. It's a co-working space in Bamboo. Sorry, in Detroit. Welcome, Amanda. <laughs> Welcome. We're excited to have everybody here today. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. And we've got SC Mowadi. I saw SC at Startup Grind two years ago, and she gave a talk that I just loved. I've seen dozens. I don't know, maybe even hundred talks on getting investors, and I loved her talk the most. She talked about how to make investors love you as a founder. And I was just taking notes and loving the whole thing. So glad to have her here today. In addition to being a venture capitalist with Mighty Capital, she is also the founder of Products That Count. It's a, a group for product managers with over 200,000 members. She's a product expert. She's built products at places like Facebook that billions of people use. So welcome SC. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. And I, I love the energy in your intro. It's like, hey, people who are building companies, we love you. And, and that's awesome. Thank you. Exactly. I, th I think all three of us have a, have a big spot in our hearts for founders. Yeah. Absolutely. So SC, my, my world got flipped upside down, you know, just about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, just over four weeks. How your you world, <laughs> yeah, my world, my world. I Our think everybody's world, world right? What if, what impact have you seen on teams that build products? What's what's that like out there? What are you seeing? Yes, yeah. You know, I I the the, the things that we've seen through both Mighty Capital and products that can have been really interesting. Of course, the first you know couple of weeks, as probably most of us, it was like wait a minute, right? Just like you're describing, like the rug got pulled from under me. Like, I'm in free fall, what's going on, right? Exactly. And that was sort of like the the, the first reaction. And, and from there, everybody's going through sort of like all the stages of grief, right? So denial, anger, you know, all that. And now it feels like we're sort of in the, the groundhog days <laughs> of, of this crisis where every morning we wake up and it's like, oh, more of the same, more of the same. The good news being, we know there's an end to this and we know that there's going to be a new normal behind that. And so whether you're a founder, you're building any product team, building some really cool innovative stuff, really it's about like, number one, how do I last until this is over? Right, so do I keep my, my team performing? Do I have enough to last through that? And really just like in your burn, lowering your, your everything you can sort of and maybe take advantage of some opportunities there, but through the crisis. And then I do this like 
reinvestment to, I, I tell all my, my teams and my entrepreneurs, like, be the rock, right? Like, people around you are panicking. People around you are anxious, worried. Maybe some of them are, are ill or have family members who are ill. So, um, says Godin, who I really have a lot of respect for, he says, well, you know, just like a, a, a disease or a pandemic has a, an R naught, right, a, a coefficient that it um, propagate, propagates at, calm also has a coefficient, right? So be the rock means really like bring bring the, the level of anxiety and the level of worry down so that people can focus on moving forward. Like what's next, right? We're all going to survive this. Some of us are, you know, most of us, honestly, if we're building companies, we're in great positions, right? We're not like, uh, you know, we're not ill. We're, you know, so we're, we're, we're very fortunate. Um, so most of us are going to survive that. So think through how do I be the rock, like help the people around me be really strong. And then how do I start thinking about what that new normal is going to look like? So a couple of things that we um, recommended for our founders is make sure you have your 18 months of runway. You can survive for 18 months until things sort of recover. And then the other thing we do is we're looking at the industries that we believe are really going to be impacted, um, travel, you know, healthcare, and so on and so forth. And we try to, to think about like, okay, what's going to look like after this is over? And you know, I've been around for a little while. When I think back, and this is broad stroke, right? This is simplification. I'm not trying to go into details, but when I think about 9/11, and you know, when the world crumbled, just you know, in very different, but in a way similar ways as as today. Wow, what happened, right? So for a couple of years, the whole world was shaken, but then we got to a new normal. And I say a couple of years, right? That's what it's going to take. But then we got back to the new normal. And the new normal, the, the key difference, if I try to remember, like before 9-11, after 9-11, the key difference is you go through security when you go uh, to, through the airport. That's like, that's the big like pre-post 9-11, right? It's airport security. Yeah. Well, what's that big difference going to be with COVID, right? Is it something like, for example, trade shows are over? Right, like massive trade shows, massive concerts, you know, all these, you know, the, the Coachella, the South by Southwest, is it like, well, this is over. It's just too much of a risk to be with too many, so many people all at once. Like, is that the big one difference? Or is it something like, no matter where we go, we keep social distancing. So for example, restaurant prices double because instead of having, you know, tables side by side, it's like every other, right? Like spaced out. So the cost structure is completely different. Like what is this about? What, what is that one big difference that's going to make our new normal? And if you just you know, keep that in the back of your mind, brainstorm with your friends, you guys are all these wonderful, creative, innovative people. Try to picture what that new normal is going to be. And it's not going to be like a completely different world. There's going to be one or maybe two massive differences. Yeah, I remember being through 9-11. And when I think back then, I don't I don't think I would have ever imagined that there would be this permanent change in how airports worked going forward and how I now hate, we were talking about that before in the green room about how I hate flying now and I prefer trains because of right. those changes. And it, and it bothers me that I can't, you know, go and see my son off and, and, you know, send him on the plane from the gate and be at the gate when he arrives. So I don't even send him like I used to fly on my own. But I don't know how I would have 
imagine that, you know, in 9-11 before, you have any tips for how to, how to try to predict what's going to happen? What the, how what to predict the are future? <laughs> yeah, your crystal ball. Let me, where's my crystal ball? <laughs> Get your crystal ball out. Tell me what the winning lottery is for next week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so maybe just kind of just seeing how things we evolve, see where things are he heading, kind of look at where the trends have been and, and which trends yeah. are accelerating. That Those will probably be the ones that stick around. Yes. So, I mean, more seriously, like how, how do you predict the future? You know, it, it's obviously very hard and, and your your guess is, is as good as mine there. What The way we do that is we, we um, and, ex, and industry experts, and we try to really understand like their perspective. They've thought like, you know, if you, if you talk to somebody who, for example, is a venture capitalist specialized in like, uh, the future of travel or future of transportation. They have thought about that future for a really long time. They have established connections and invested in companies that are already defining that future. And so they've sort of already taken that very disruptive approach to how are things going to be different in like 10 or 20 years? So that's, that's one thing. You can listen to some of these podcasts or, or interviews. Another one is you talk to, so that's coming from the, the world of innovation. Another one is you can talk to futurists. So futurists, they come more from the world of like technology, like how is technology going to make us completely different? If you go to places like Singularity and stuff like that, right? They're trying to think about like, how do I take bleeding edge technology, like thoughts leading to movements, you know, like, um, which, yeah. Um, and, and invent a future that you cannot even, um, you know, picture today. Uh, and then, you know, for folks who are building products, you know your industry better than anyone else. You have probably thought a lot about, like, how am I going to disrupt my own industry? A friend of mine who's a great product person says, I, you know, I read a lot of sci-fi because sci-fi is actually inspiring me to, to, not think of you know my line of work or my industry or what linearly. Um, it, it allows me to be very disruptive, like come from a completely different perspective, more like a literary perspective. Uh, so you can you know watch like crazy Hollywood futuristic movies. And then you know the other thing that I I also do like I'm a huge uh, history buff, right? And so I love stuff from like what can you know, a hundred years ago, help us. What 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 can we derive from what happened a hundred years ago to inform what we're doing today? I know it's not a super popular thing to do here in Silicon Valley because, like, whatever was two years ago is history. <laughs> but um, but I read a lot of stuff like from a hundred years ago or even two hundred years ago to try and understand, especially you know, with things like that where it's more like geopolitics and and less about like the you know technology. Um, so I, I want to say everyone has their own way to picture the future, but I think of it as, you know, almost like orthogonal activities. You have your line of work, you have the stuff you excel at, do something completely different that, you know, if you're very data driven, like, you know, do something completely creative and vice versa. And that is sort of how you expand your mind to, to think through the future. I like that. And I used to be a big fan of Ray Kurzweil too, until I saw a documentary where he was like eating pills by the handful. And <laughs> I thought that was kind of uh, not that specifically, yeah. but that documentary changed my perception on him. 
So SC, you've yeah. been through a couple of these. Uh, well, these one other, oh, sorry. One other, one other person I, I, I think the world of is uh, Jaron Lanier. So this guy, if you don't know him, mm-hmm. I recommend you read his books. He, he's the, the, the one I, I like the most is called Who Owns the Future? Uh, and he, I, I think 10, 15 years ago, predicted all of the, you know, the data issues that we're having now is, wow. you know, the Facebook and the Google of the world. And he just recently wrote a book on virtual reality. Like, I think are maybe one of the changes from, you know, this, this crisis is if we're all going to virtually, like, let's make it interesting. Like, let's make it real virtual reality as opposed to, you know, 2D screen, Zoom, uh, Crowdcast, whatever. Uh, anyway, so this guy is, is, a, is a true visionary. Um, I got to warn you, though, uh, when I read his books, like every paragraph, I got to read it two or three times because it's so dense. He's so brilliant. <laughs> It's pretty impressive. Way, I, I reread things to make sure I'm understanding what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So I see you've been yeah. through a couple of these downturns before. Sounds like 9-11 and the 08 financial crisis. What did you see successful product teams do? What are some lessons that you learned in previous crises that our listeners today can, can take, the things that they should be doing right now that worked well in previous crises? Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the, the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to stop and, and dwell on the problem. So it's really like, okay, so you, you, most of you who are entrepreneurs or, or managing product teams or, or managing products, go and um, keep your team performing. So it may mean that you, sorry, reprioritize a few things in your roadmap or in your business plan. But keep moving, right? Don't stop, like keep your discipline. Um, really just like <laughs> pretend this doesn't exist. I know it's impossible, <laughs> but, but, but keep moving. That's the first thing. Now, the other thing is, okay, how do you keep moving when everybody's at a standstill, right? So maybe when you're selling your product or you're selling you know, features to your engineers, like I think a lot of life is just selling, 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 whatever it is, right? Sell it a little bit differently. Sell it with more empathy. Sell it with, you know, maybe at a slower pace or, or you know, bring people along with you and, and you know, and take them for the ride, like, at a, at a slower pace. With you. Um, and, and when it comes to, you know, thinking about, like, okay, so how do I continue to, to grow my revenue or to, you know, grow my user base or engage my customers more? Well, um, you know, there, there are there are ways that you can continue to grow. And I'm not trying to say take advantage of situations, obviously not, right? But there are ways that you can, you know, find another way for, for your product to be valuable in a, in a time of crisis. Or if a certain product offering, you know, you, you have is no longer possible. Like if you're running in-person events, you can no longer do that. You're going to go to virtual events, right? So So pivot as quickly as you can. And, and keep iterating because, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's also a great time for opportunities, right? Like these kinds of major shakeouts, they're going to, you know, shake out the tourists away, right? So people who were, you know, you guys are all like experienced founders, people who were here and were sort of like not really committed, well, they're going to go away. <laughs> people yeah. who are investors who were here, but not really on your side, they're going to go away. Right. And so you'll be left with the true believers, 
your true fans, your, your true backers, your true customers. And these are actually the people you care about. And so, you know, in the, in the, the old normal, in the regular times, I always <laughs> tell people, like, you really only want to listen to people who, who support you. People who, for example, are going to not fund you, like ignore everything they say. Or people who are not going to buy from you, like don't listen to their feedback. You only want to listen to the feedback of people who are willing to give you like skin in the game, whether it's investing in you, joining your company, buying your product. Well, that's going to be even more important now. So stay close to your customers, engage with them even more, like have a checking call. Like, you know, I, I, I called every single one of my investors just to check in on them. I had no agenda. I just wanted to, to connect, do that. So it sounds like you're saying now could even be an opportunity where maybe you know, I've seen some founders where the revenues went down and their customers have went down, but you're saying those ones who are left, they're the, they're the true believers and it's an opportunity now to, to connect with them. Yes, absolutely. So really engage more with them, really understand like what they're going through, like how is their business affected and the way their business is affected may give you some ideas, very specific ideas on services and offerings that, maybe value add for them that you can provide. Yeah. It sounds like you kept saying, you know, keep selling, keep selling, keep selling. And I've seen founders who just start thinking, Hey, should I shut off selling right now and just hunker down and build? And I'm, I'm hearing from you. It sounds like that's not the way to do it. No, I, I really don't think so. It's, it's actually, <laughs> um, I, I will say, uh, you you know, your life as a founder or as a product manager is really selling. Uh, and, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I, I didn't always say that in my in my career. Like I start, I, I'm trained as an engineer. And so for me, like selling was dirty. You know? <laughs> and I oh, know I'm not going to be selling. Build it and they will come. and they will come. Yes, exactly. And then I, and then I worked for Facebook for a while. And it was like, oh, yeah, nobody needs selling. Like just like billions of people. Who cares? Like and one billion a day or, you know. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is. Any successful entrepreneur or any successful product manager is constantly selling. And so in times of crisis, you know, the first reaction is kind of like when the stock market goes down, right? The reaction of most people is, oh, I'm going to sell my stock. Well, that's when you're going to hold on to it because <laughs> it's going to go back up, right? And so in times of crisis, it's this, this very natural reaction like, oh, I'm going to sort of you know, stick to myself and try to, you know, just survive actually you will be feeling better you will be more successful you will have a bigger impact at so on so many levels if you keep selling and i don't say selling as in just like make money because right now it's actually really hard to make money but selling as in engaging engage with your team like sell them on how exciting the future is going to be right mm -hmm. engage with your customers understand what their needs are so that when the time is right you can you know sell them more relevant offering Engage with your investors so that when the time comes, they've been so impressed with your behavior in crisis and your ethics and your resilience that they're going to back you the, the next round again. That's what I mean when I say selling. I don't mean like just make a buck, whatever it takes. I mean, engage. I like that to, to engage and, and develop those deeper relationships. Right. I, while we're on the topic of selling though, have you seen some creative ways that product managers and founders have used crises to actually accelerate user acquisition and growth? Yes, I, I have. Um, 
and in fact, you know, um, we we um, we think about selling. Uh, we think about you know uh, building products and and growing products as you know a lot of this growth hacking methodology, right? And um, right now, it's actually really hard to do <laughs> growth hacking. Growth hacking, in essence, for those of you who you know, may or may not be familiar or, you know, just to give you a way of how I think about it. It's like define your success metric, put everything that leads to that metric into a funnel and then optimize the conversion of that funnel, right? And so in times like today, like your A-B test to optimize your conversion may or may not work, right? But in normal times, it doesn't work all the time either, right? Like sometimes you just try to optimize your funnel. In fact, most hypothesis, most A-B tests are not successful. So in times of crisis, like what I like to say is like, you need to think outside the funnel. I like try thinking outside the funnel. And what does that mean to think outside the funnel? Well, it means like, okay, so what if instead of having like the constraints of my funnel, right? The top of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel, the depth of the funnel, what if there was no funnel? It's like in the matrix, right? There's no matrix. <laughs> So what if instead of having like, you know, a, an entry point that's like limited, what if anybody could be interested in my service? And, and I'll give you an example, right? I'll give you an example where, you know, if you, if you know the, the service Zillow, right? The Zillow, like people who buy houses, um, they, there's not a lot of them who can afford it. And even when they can, like they don't buy houses every day, right? It's like every five years or so, they maybe they buy a house. That's the average. Well, so that makes for a very, you know, low velocity, very tiny segment of the population. But instead, if you say, well, who who in this audience, who the in, among the people who are here are interested in knowing the value of their house? Well, probably most people. And what about the value of their, you know, lead investor's house or, or their top employee's house or what have Let, you? Let's right? be real though. It's, it's about checking our friends when we go to visit their house. <laughs> exactly. Like probably everybody and not just once here and there, everybody like every day. And then you're going to say, oh my God, there's a trend where, you know, the house of my lead investor is going out down. This bastard is getting richer by the day or, you know, what have you? Like, you're just going to refund that information. Well, all of a sudden, when you think about, you being Zillow, you've really increased the size of your funnel to basically anybody who's interested in checking someone else's house or the value of someone else's house, right? So instead of having a very, very narrow target of people who can afford to buy a house right now, you're saying, I can actually be relevant to anybody out there. out there right now today right you have like this crazy pandemic so what are ways that you can engage your you know anybody around the pandemic and channel that for something positive that's gonna you know raise your brand make them feel more secure you know in increase their health like what have you in a positive way right so using like you know zillow uses that zestimate right like this metric that's a slightly inflated value of a house as a way to hook everybody into their service, well, there are there are ways you can you know use similar techniques in a time of pandemic to increase the size of your funnel and make it almost like an infinite funnel, uh, infinitely wide funnel. That's really interesting. I'm glad you provided that example too, because I had like no idea what you're talking about when you're talking about look at the matrix. And yeah, 
The I funnel like, can like be example. infinite. <laughs> uh, what about staying focused right now? You know, with all that we've got going on, you know, I've got my son here at home. He's got schoolwork to do. I've got, you know, financial pressures. How, how do you recommend founders and product managers stay focused on building product right now? Yeah, uh, that's a, that's probably the hardest part. Is like, how do you have your own self-discipline and how do you have your team staying healthy and performing? So uh, there are a few things. Well, first of all, the biggest impediment to performance right now is that, you know, kind of general anxiety, whether it's anxiety for what's the future going to be, uh, whether my loved one is going to, you know, uh, feel healthy again, or the sort of that routine of like, I'm not able to get out, I'm getting cabin fever, it's groundhog days, right? So it's that just general. First advice to founders and, and product leaders, be always 100% positive. Like don't share negative news, don't even look at the news more than like once a day or so. Always be super positive with yourself, with others, with your teams, with your family. Uh, and that's probably one of the most important thing you, you can do. I, I go back to, you know, the advice on like staying calm and calm having that coefficient that brings everybody back to sort of that, that neutral central point. I like and then that. The I second, heard it before. The R not on calm. Yeah. Calm has a coefficient. Um, and then the, the other thing is, um, okay, so that's the first thing, like bring the anxiety down uh, by, by being calm and, and super positive. And then like drive, like bring people along with you. So, you know, I found myself um, really exhausted at the end of every day these days. And it's not like I'm, you know, I'm out and about, like I'm, I'm staying in the house for every day. But, you know, the, the mental effort that it takes to always be positive and always have that impetus of, I'm going to call people. I'm actually uh, like going to be positive in, in like, people need to feel that they are together. So rather than sending these random emails, which we all are so used to doing, I'm actually calling people. <laughs> Most of the time it's like, hello, <laughs> somebody actually <laughs> call me on the phone. <laughs> and, they think, and they think something's wrong. They think there's an emergency. What, what it's do you an emergency or spam or whatever. <laughs> like, hey, it's SC, how are you doing? Oh, SC. And then there's like a 10 minute conversation about whatever, you know, and, you know, people are venting and people are telling a funny story or they're cracking a joke or, you know, and at the end of this 10 minutes, I can tell they feel better, right? And if you can have that impact on your customers, on your team, like with just these 10 minutes at a time, you're going to make a massive difference in your business, maybe not today, but in three months. And you're going to be exhausted at the end of the day for sure, but you're really investing in, in your future, the future of your company, the future of your team. Um, so these are sort of your, you know, personal advice. And then other things that you need to do as a founder, you're a community leader. It's your responsibility to stay healthy yourself. So exercise every day, sleep well, you know, all that stuff. But also it's your responsibility to be a leader in your community. And so, for example, we, um, you know, we, we, we donated a lot of money to artists to yoga and like body professionals because their business has basically gone to like zero, right? And so your business may be impacted. You may be worried about, you know, whether you're going to hit your numbers and so on and so forth. 
these people, they, they have nothing left, right? And so be a community leader by, by really taking a leadership role in your community. And you'll be surprised like the, the impact it has on you. I, it, make, it will make you feel great that you're, you're actually like in a position to be of assistance. And it will also make your teams feel so proud. Like, you know, for example, some of our portfolio companies, they have this weekly get together, like happy hour, right? And instead of doing just a happy hour or, of like get together, they invite uh, once in a while, like they do like a, a, a yoga session or they do like a, 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 a like half an hour music gig with a local mm -hmm. artist or what have you. And I mean, the impact on the teams, like, you know, and you can tell, I, I, I've been on a couple of these calls, you can tell like the faces of the team members, they're remembering all the concerts they went through, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, before this, you know, and it's just like, you know, such a connector, such a great thing to do. So uh, that's another thing you can do to, uh, to keep your team engaged. And then another thing that I would suggest as well is um, get your team to, to be together. So, um, you know, some of our portfolio companies, they have a, distributed teams or even you know, everybody working from home, uh, they do a, a every day um, a group hangout. And it's there's no agenda, there's no meeting, not a lot of people talk, they're just working in parallel. And they feel together and they crack a joke and they say whatever, and it's and it's great. It makes people feel like, you know, they're connected. I'm, I might have to try that one. So I like, I like those tips. So that that's like what you said, you know, building now to come out stronger later. Amanda, before we get into questions and answers, what's what's on your mind? I feel like I'm just taking a bunch of notes. <laughs> Thank you, Esther. Um, really inspiring. And I think it's important that a lot of our sessions have been about the immediate impact. Like, how do you be a good leader? How do you take care of yourself? How do you help your team? And I think you're pushing us to start to think about, like, there is a positive future coming. And you're part of that. And you can think past your limitations right now. And I think it's important to get us thinking that way. So I, I really appreciate that. And you can do that because it's not something that you're gonna, you know, actively be sitting down and say, okay, now let me think about the future. Like that's not <laughs> how it's going to happen. But shifting your mental space to there's an end to it and it's gonna be a new normal. And what is my place going to be in this new normal? Like it's all of our responsibilities as founders and product leaders, because we are the innovators. We are the ones building the future. You know, any, like the stat is 85% of jobs created are created by companies that are less than five years old. And so everybody who's on this call or who's going to be listening to this is going to play this massive role in defining the future. So go, go get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for that. What do you think, David? Should we hop into questions? It looks like we've got six questions. Yeah, um, in drop it in and please upvote so we can get to them. Yeah, Amanda, what we got in there? The first question, uh, in a crisis, is there a benefit to giving away your product for free? And what might be those long and short-term implications? Yes, that's really um, a, a you know, question that's um, very, very dependent on your product. What we're seeing right now is a lot of companies are giving a lot of stuff for free. 
Um, so let me let me share a few things there, and it really is product dependent. I would be happy to have you know follow on conversation with anyone about to talk about the specifics. But if you're in a SaaS business, right, you are taking on recurring revenue, and you're trying to protect your churn above maybe the short-term revenue. So it may make sense when you, you know, you have one of your customers who's facing like a temporary hardship to say, okay, I'll comp you one or two months because I don't want to lose you. Right. So that's a better approach to say, okay, I'll comp you for two months and then we go back to normal rather than hey, no, I'm not being flexible. You got to pay and then you just lose them forever. So in a SaaS situation, I think it might make sense when there's a, a good justification to comp the service. But just offering your stuff up for free just because other people are doing it, ah, I'm not a fan of doing stuff for free. You know, In fact, um, I generally advise founders to never do anything for free. <laughs> no free pilot, no like, you know, you know, free stuff in exchange for a review. Because uh, if people take your stuff for free, they don't value it. And so why are you doing it? Uh, so that's my general perspective. But again, like that's a, you know, oversimplified and you know, the devil's in the detail there. I see. I see that over and over where I know initially, too, I wanted to you know, price my offerings as low as possible. You know, I wanted to be like the Walmart. How, how can people get out of that mindset? What, what's, what's, what's the trick to, like you said, yeah. not doing anything for free? Yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up. And in general, you know, I, I'm a big believer in building value, right? So if people start talking to you about price, you have failed at your sales process because you made it about price. And anytime, you know, I, I, I talk with salespeople about like, you know, oh, we need to discount better. Da, da, da. No, we don't discount. <laughs> we We sell more value. And so... It really is about like building your sales process to build value first. Um, the methodology that I'm a big fan of in terms of sales is Sandler, the Sandler methodology, which is all about building value upfront and then, you know, through like customer discovery and then having a discussion around price that, that are actually a lot less driven by, you know, discount and tit for tat and stuff like that. It's all about value. And so, you know, back. Well, you know what? Like, start with a high price, and maybe you sell one or two. You have some, you know, marquee customers, and you really listen to them, and you listen to what they want and their feedback and suggestions and features, and you think of ways that you're going to do something that nobody else does. And it's better to start from that top of the market and then you know go down in value then say oh i want something that's scalable off right off the bat and so therefore i'm gonna you know package it price it super low uh because you're you know you're gonna you're gonna basically be commoditized i like that a lot like the tesla start with that model s and then go yeah and then go to model three over the decade exactly exactly and it's also more scalable for you to start with, you know, three or four super high paying customers that are, you know, that you're dependent on to, for your survival, than have like 
20 customers you don't care about because they don't pay you very well. They're pain in the butt. <laughs> you'll get there. You'll get there. You'll get to have like many customers and a you know commoditized scalable offering. But at first, like, no, build, build value. I love that. Thank you. Um, so the next question is a little bit more about you, SC, and how you uh, went from being an engineer or a general manager to a CEO. What made you take that leap into leadership? Um, what advice might you give? And the question comes from a non-traditional engineer, a woman of color. So she would love to know how you made that jump and any tips you can offer. Yeah, so going from engineers, an engineer to a product manager, uh, it's pretty simple. I was never a very good engineer. So <laughs> you were like, hey, why don't you do the product stuff? Um, so that, that's that. And then building products to, um, you know, running a, my own company, um, you know, product managers are, are most impactful when they work for larger organizations. You know, the, the, the role of a product manager is really critical. It's really inventing new offerings for large companies and, and helping large companies be innovative. And that's really hard to do. And there's, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of politics and a lot of, you know, corporate America. And at some point I, I, I had enough of that. And so I decided that I was going to start my own thing, but you know, what I did was I did it this way. Right. So I had the big company trajectory before I had the startup trajectory. And if I was going to do it over again, I would do exactly that. I would build my best practices, my knowledge base, my credibility, my confidence at these larger companies, and then sort of learn the, the startup on your own thing, because it, it's, it's tough to be on your own. Mm -hmm. um, and then the leadership journey of uh, being a you know, founder, CEO, building a team, uh, it's probably one of the hardest thing I've, I've done. Um, and it, it really comes down to how do you create high performance in that sort of small organization environment? And so I'm a big believer of, um, you know, uh, culture. And so at, at you know, our companies, we, we build like, you know, high performance. Basically, if you read the, you know, the, the theory of high performance or, or some of the research, it's the combination of two things. It's having a strategy and having a great culture, great strategy, great culture. In other words, having a plan so you know where you're going, you have a vision and a way to get there. And then culture being when you get off plan, not if, because you're going to, like when you get off the plan, how do you get back, right? How do you have people who have values, goals, perspective, um, competencies that bring you back to building your big vision? And so uh, a lot of the work of being a CEO is really understanding that and building a great strategy and great vision and building a great culture. And then after that, especially as an engineer, um, it's really about selling. And that's, that's one of the hardest transitions. Like, you know what, it's not the build, like, like we were talking about earlier, it's not the build it and they will come. It's not the new technology. It's not the product. It's, it's the customer, it's the revenue, it's the investor, it's the sale, the employee that I'm selling to come join my company. That was great. I love it. I always hear culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's something we've heard a lot 
do you think, would you prioritize culture over strategy or do you think they're both equal to prioritize? I think they're both equal. And it's almost like right brain, left brain. On your team, you're going to have people who are going to, you know, relate more to the strategy, the data, the vision, the plan. And you're going to have people who are going to relate more to the values, the teamwork, um, what's in it for them, you know, and, and they need to work together and you need both kinds of people. I love it. Thank you. It's sort of like, you know, if you listen to, um, to some talks, like I, you know, I, I, for some reason I have this, this um, image that comes to mind, like two, two very different speakers. One speaker, like super rational, super organized, super data driven, like, well, there are three reasons to do this. And the first one is, you know, and they'll walk you through that. And you'll have some people in the audience who will say that was the best talk ever, right? Because that structure allows them to sort of anchor themselves in the talk and, and really follow what's going on, right? So that's strategy. And then you'll have another speaker who's like, you know, like a Brene Brown is kind of like that, like, oh, oh just talking about what happened and telling you stories. And you'll have people who will be like so inspired by this. And that's culture. And you need both. And everybody was talking about Brene Brown last year. Uh, I saw her. Right. Uh, her Sorry, that's all news. <laughs> <laughs> David, I feel like you'd probably be more like speaker number one and I'd be more like speaker number two. Yeah, yeah. speaker number one resonates with me more. Here at the show. <laughs> um, so next question is uh, just a piece of advice. Do you believe that they should be laser focused on creating a unique value proposition right now? As Do you founder? believe like founders should be focused on their value prop? Yes. Um, Yes, you, I mean, anytime you should be focused on this now more than ever so that you don't, you know, let your, your mind, um, who said that an idle mind is the devil's playground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so don't let your mind be idle, be super focused. I think now more than any time, but, but anytime too, <laughs> be focused. Yeah, maybe the questions around like differentiating where you know everybody's got financial problems, family problems, working remote problems, and maybe it's something about how to how to stand out. How to prioritize. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. So how you prioritize, um, again, like this is something I would have answered differently maybe five, 10 years ago. Uh, today, the way I answer it is you prioritize your health above everything because your health is what's going to be the foundation for the rest. And so, you know, you prioritize sleep, daily exercise, uh, eating well above pretty much anything. And that's usually the last thing we do. <laughs> yeah, that's but, for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, you, you have to do that if you want to be successful because uh, there's a point and sometimes it's very soon and sometimes it's much later where you realize like you are the ones who are getting in the way of, of your your company growth and, and, or your product uh, success. And so you need to, you know, uh, remove that barrier, which is coming through like being healthy and not sabotaging and all that good stuff uh, or bad stuff. So that health is above your personal health is above everything. And then, uh, you know, kind of like Maslow pyramid, your employees or your engineers health and, and being comes next. And then come, you know, your goals and your priority. And, 
it's not like people are going to forget that they have goals and priorities. In fact, they are not forgetting. They are so worried that they're not going to meet them because they're super anxious about whatever, you know, their loved ones, their own not sleeping or so on, that it makes them even more anxious. And so by focusing them on their health, you remove the anxiety and you allow them to, um, to execute against their goals, which is that virtuous cycle. SC, how did you internalize that change and decide that health is above all else? What, what changed in the last 10 years? How did I change that? Um, or how did I internalize that? Well, um, you know, through my, my own personal, like, I mean, literally realizing, okay, let me be more specific, realizing that I was getting in the way of my own success, right? Like at first you, you have some playground for yourself. You're, oh, I'm going to go right. I'm going to go left. Oh, it's working. Awesome. And then there are some barriers you keep hitting and, you know, you hit them once. Oh, it's someone else's fault. You hit them twice. Oh, it's the market's fault. Whatever. And then you hit them enough times. You're like, no, no, it's actually my fault. I cannot escape. It is up to me to make that change. And sometimes you realize that you actually don't want to make that change. And what it tells you is you don't care enough about what you're doing that you're going to make the change. But if you care enough, you're going to make the change. And that's basically the combination of, you know, hitting enough like situations where I was like, yeah, no, it's not someone else's fault. It's mine. And I actually really care about making this happen. So I'm going to change. And once you realize that what happens, then now, you know, I sort of flip that around. And when I encounter, uh, you know, a, a, a challenge or a problem or something, I'm like, okay, so do I care enough about this or not? Like I sort of get ahead of it. I'm like, do I care about this or not? And if the answer is yes, I, I talk, yeah, I'm like, well, then you got to change. And if I don't care enough, I'm like, okay, well, then who cares? Do something else. But there's a lot more of that self-awareness. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Jerry. Jerry's going to be our speaker on Friday. So I hope everyone can come join. Uh, Hi, Jerry. <laughs> his question is, you mentioned the importance of calling around your team, your investors, and your network right now to strengthen your relationship. Jerry was going to use 2020 to go to a lot of large conferences and meet new people. Now he's wondering how he should, what are best practices he should use to strike up a phone conversation um, to build new relationships and find new partners during such a strange time? Yeah, this is a really great question. In fact, you know, the future of networking is, um, it's really interesting because in so many ways, when you think about, you know, the, the old normal, right? The way people used to network before Corona was they would go to all these events and events kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you had these massive trade shows. Um, and that's sort of how people networked most of the time, which led to most people I know, especially on the technical side, saying, I hate networking, which is another way to say, uh, I'm, you know, I don't want to go to these massive conventions. It's just not like human scale. So um, I think uh, there's a good chance that this will um, be the new normal, that people will realize that these massive, massive convention, like 100,000 people for three days, you know, 
it's not super practical. It's not very human scale and not, that's likely to change. Now, back to your, to your original question about networking, like how do you effectively network when you cannot meet people in person? Well, uh, first of all, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you, um, you know, and, and there's a very simple way to do it, which is like, hey, you know, I, I heard you on this webinar. I thought it was interesting. Are you open to chatting? Or, hey, I really love the product you're selling. And yeah, thanks, Jerry. I really like the product you're selling. Um, I, I'd love to, to learn more about your vision and would like to have a, a small conversation with you. Or, you know, hey, um, you know, I used to be a customer of, you know, anyways, there's so many excuses to strike up a, a, an, an email or LinkedIn and say, let's, let's chat. But what I would not do is I would not make it like random. I would not make it like, um, you know, like a massive operation. I would be very targeted into like, okay, I would set myself a, a goal of having, I don't know, if it's maybe one new person a day or two new people a week that you're going to meet and select them like smartly, like find smart people to, to connect with. I mean, if you do this for a year and you say like just two people a week, that's a hundred people. It's um, yeah. Are there any tools that looks like a few people chimed in in the chat using Facebook or LinkedIn? How would you personally do this? Do you use a tool like LinkedIn or email or Twitter? So um, I, I have a, a different, like I, I, my, my situation is maybe I have a little bit of the opposite problem of having too many people uh, to connect with. Um, but if you're just getting started, uh, I, I actually give a, a whole talk on how to build your, your brand, your professional or personal brand. If you're just getting started, the approach that I recommend is um, three, three steps. So I'll go into data. There's a three-step approach to uh, to building your brand, and it's really like how do you become part of the conversation? And what I mean by that is, um, let's just pick an example, right? You are a product manager, and you want to be recognized for your craft. You say, no, I'm a, not just a product manager, but I'm you know somebody who's a, an expert in I don't know product management for healthcare. And I want to be recognized for that. Well, the first thing is you need to actually join the conversation. Like 99% of people who are product managers in healthcare, they are not part of the conversation. They do their job. That is not being part of the conversation. Like doing your job is being not in the conversation. So how do you first join the conversation? There's lots of ways you do that. Like really um, uh, joining means you're gonna say, I'm here, I'm paying attention to the conversation. So it could be that you join all the Twitter uh, streams that are specialized or you start you know, following all the LinkedIn groups and you will you know, like or retweet or reshare. Like it could be something that simple. And you gotta get into the discipline of doing it every day, which is actually hard to do. Like when I started on this journey, I said, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I think my, my resolution was I'm going to tweet one interesting article on product every day. Well, you got to find that one article that's interesting. And so you got to read a lot of articles and then you get to know all the experts and you all of a sudden you have this steady stream of like one piece of content every day and you become 
somebody who people look up to like, oh, wow, like she's, she's posting interesting stuff every day, right? That's like joining the conversation. You're just saying, I'm here. Like, hey, this is interesting. Hey, I like that, right? And then the second step you do is you're actually um, shaping the conversation, right? So shaping the conversation is saying, hey, I'm, I'm here and, and I have a, my two cents to share on this topic. So maybe instead of like um, tweeting once a day, you, know, you tweet and you say, you know, I really like point number three in that article, but in point number four, I would have said it differently or they omit like this key facts in point number seven or whatever, you know, like you give your two cents. And it could be you give your two cents this way, or it could be you join like the, the kind of webinar we're on right now, or you are on panel. So you are somebody who's not just here and, and telling people they're here, but you're also like giving your opinion on something. So when I started doing this, I said, okay, I'm gonna shape the conversation. My goal was I'm gonna be on one panel every day. Every every month, one per month. <laughs> one per month. <laughs> And so I would contact event organizers and I would basically be like, hey, uh, do you need a woman on your panel? Like, uh, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> hey, do, you need, do you need somebody who's, um, you know, who was at Facebook on your panel or, you know, whatever it is that was possibly interesting to that, you know, panel organizer, I would be like, I can add some value to you, right? And so I, I, I did that. Anyway, so as you do this, you know, being on a panel, you give your opinion on it on a topic that's given to you. So you give your two cents, right? You're shaping the conversation. And then the last step is drive the conversation. And you know, Jerry, you're obviously driving the conversation on something already because you're going to be a guest speaker. But driving the conversation is like writing a book, giving a keynote, and so on and so forth, right? So ways to raise your brand and build your network it's really following with a lot of discipline that you know join shape drive step of building your own brand i love it that's so great Essie. we're getting i'm getting text messages we're getting comments on how you've been one of our best speakers so far oh my god thank you you guys like you're gonna make me <laughs> i know we only have about five-ish minutes left and so we'll try to get through uh, just a couple more questions if that's okay Uh, next question, what's the current position for startups and emerging companies seeking legal assistance during this time? Um, do you have any advice on how they might be able to get some legal support? You mean like pro bono legal work? It doesn't Something say like that. Probably pro bono or expert support. Yeah, I, I can tell you that probably all the law firms out there are trying to find ways to get new clients. And so I would just, you know, attend one of their webinars, reach out to them, or they'll reach out to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm a founder, I'm looking for some advice, like, can you talk to me? Most law firm will give you at least an hour of their time to, um, you know, listen to you and give you some advice. And, and, if you, and if you hack it, contact three law firms, you ask, you know, questions to one, other questions to the second, another set of questions to the third, you get three hours of free consulting. On the legal side. I love it. <laughs> I had a weird one like that where I, I had a consultation with a lawyer and I thought it was uncharged and then I got a bill in the mail. Have you ever had that, SD? Uh, so I, I've had people try to get money off me for lots of different reasons. 
um, you know, um, yeah, I, I just, I wouldn't let that happen. Take no prisoner here. <laughs> I, I was weak. I sat on it for like three months, got like a, another notice. And I was like, okay, fair enough. I'll pay it. Oh, wow. You're, you're too kind. No, I, I don't let that happen. And you know, I, I, um, maybe uh, it's the, maybe it's the French in me or something, but you know, I, 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 when that has happened, I, I've called people up, say, Hey, you know, it was not my understanding that you were going to charge me. So if you, if you insist on me paying, um, I probably will have to, uh, because obviously you helped me, but to be honest, like if you, wasted your time so what do you want to do and so i kind of leave it up to them to tell me like okay it's okay i want to build goodwill and you know all right sounds like you're you're a good a good negotiator Mm -hmm. uh next question how do you prioritize product decisions right now and uh an example they shared was services versus tangible should we narrow down to core products or should we be considering human needs and fears such as grocery shopping apps um, kind of a big question, but maybe give a perspective or way to think about that. Yeah, that feels to be the last one. Yeah. So um, the question is, how do you prioritize roadmap like as broad as like grocery delivery versus um, something completely different? It's hard for me to tell from the question. What are the best ways to prioritize product decisions? Mm-hmm. So. You know, prioritizing today, um, I, I sort of go back to, you know, the world's going to look different in, in six months. So I would not like embark on like a brand new crazy offering unless you have really validated it with your existing customers and you already have a few people who said, yes, we will buy this at the price you give us and, you know, we will be a reference for you if it works well. Um, it, I would I would instead focus on, you know, contacting your customers, contacting your best customers if you have many, and really understanding if there are issues they are having and if you can help um, so, solve them right now. That's that's how I would think about it. I like that. How to get it solved right now? Yeah. Well. This has been another edition of Coping with COVID. If everyone can can give SC a clap, if you're in the chat, you can give a virtual clap and clap for real. <laughs> SC, thank you so much to sharing about how to build network. You know, right now, how to build those relationships so we can come out of this strong. Uh, I like the tips about you know the the legal services. Thank you so much, SC, for being with us. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so. My much. pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was really fun. Thank you for listening to our Coping with COVID series brought to you by Bamboo Detroit. If you would like to view all of our virtual episodes, you can go to www.crowdcast.io forward slash David Silva Smith. Again, that's forward slash D-A-V-I-D-S-I-L-V-A-S-M-I-T-H. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. If you would like to support our podcast, 
you can become a sponsor of the Doers Network. We have gold, silver, and bronze packages available. If you have a business you would like to promote, you will be able to reach over 10,000 listeners around the world each month at your fingertips. So if you want to reach our audience of founders, CEOs, innovators, and leaders, become a sponsor today. For more information, email us at info at bamboodetroit.com. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at bamboodetroit.com.